Can I tell you what song was stuck in my head? You're going to love this. Okay, yes. ready? Prepare your hearts. 1995, uh, One Hit Wonder. <clears throat> you ready for this? Okay, here we go. <clears throat> I love you always, forever, near and far. <laughs> Isn't that ridiculous? And the reason why I have that song stuck in my head is because I'm studying Ephesians right now for a retreat. And it's those who were far away have been brought near. And the whole time I'm thinking, I pushed it away. Was it near and far? Push it together. It is so, <laughs> so awful. Say it, say it again. Hey, Bradley. That's awesome. What is, what is your exact title? Uh, my exact title is coordinator of evangelization. Oh, secretly, I want that job to exist at my parish. So my real title, or my original title, I should say my real, was coordinator of adult formation. And I went to my pastor and said, can I have a change to evangelization? He said, why? Do I have to pay you more? And I said, no. And he said, does it involve different responsibilities? And I said, no. And he said, well, what's the difference? And I said, my friends will think it's cooler. And it's 100% huh. true. And he said, okay, go for it. See, we had um, a DRE, an administrative assistant. I mean, we're, we're only like 6,500 people on the books. Uh, DRE. See, we're 6,500 families. Yeah, you guys are gargantuan. Um, but we had, so we had those two positions. We had someone who was director of adult faith formation and then coordinator of youth ministry over here. And then all this stuff happened. We had the DRE retire, and then the adult faith person was getting made into, she's now the coordinator of all faith formation. She got sick immediately. She just passed away from cancer in May. Oh. And I know. And, like, we're just getting around to hiring a new DRE. And so things at the parish are a mess. But the whole time, like, I've been looking at stuff, and we don't do, especially with mashing a couple jobs together, we just don't do adult or family evangelist like youth ministry is about the only evangelization and discipleship focused thing that we do but i'm only allowed to do it in this very small sliver and i feel like i don't know i secretly want power yeah you want power <laughs> because you know that you can change something for the better but yeah. what ends up happening is um you, you have to realize there are institutional obstacles to evangelization from ever mm -hmm. occurring. And so um, largely what that would look like in your perspective would be like, hey, I'm just going to offer a class, you know, before morning mass. And you just have to force it to be what you want. And you just start growing it out from there. You really do. Because the yeah. church will never, most parishes cannot tolerate evangelization as an active paradigm within the church. It's just true. So where, where are you located? Um, we're on the eastern side of Cincinnati, right at the very eastern cusp. And we actually are right down the street from the seminary. Mm. Where shit went down back in the 70s. <laughs> oh, yeah. That's so funny. Uh, hippie priests. Yeah. 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 Um, yeah. So what I would say is, um, if you're, is your pastor on board for something like that? My pastor is a great guy. As long as you do your have job. something, at least you're telling him that it's thought out yeah, and that you'll do all the work and take any of the angry phone calls, he's right. I mean, he'll let you do anything. So my thought's always been, well, maybe there's a time when, 
you know, they let me expand out and do like family evangelization or something like that. Yeah. My biggest thing is if we don't have people that have hearts that are transformed, I what pool am I supposed to take from to get adults to help me evangelize young people? Right. 100%. 100%. That's why Sherry Waddell's insight is 100% true, which is we have a child paradigm of evangelization. How is that going to help us evangelize children? <laughs> you know, if we don't actually have an adult paradigm. No, and I, I am right at the forefront of just seeing, like, Luke, poor Luke has listened to me <laughs> complain in small groups all the time about, like, I, this is the, this will mark the first year in my, this will be going to my fifth year in my parish that I'll have had consistent volunteers going into the school year that are not a seminarian intern or my wife. Um, yeah, it's tough, man. It is. Ugh. Oh, everything's wonderful. Everything's wonderful in the church today. Silly guys. <laughs> what, what are you guys talking about? <laughs> I love Luke always forever when he's crying on the podcast. <laughs> oh, have you seen the Father Mike Schmitz? When, uh, have you seen his video on everything? I have not. I have not. Um, I've been meaning to watch it, and uh, I just haven't. We had registration, all this stuff today. It is absolutely wonderful. I, I try to do a good job of, like, I try to not like, I try to not reach out too often to other content creators when they make good things because I, I would do it all the time then. Yeah. And but like this one, I ha- I I just had to send I just had to send him a really quick message saying that was I think it's the best one that he's ever done. It so moved me and called me on and provided healing. It was it was incredible. It's a it is the best one that he's. It was done. everything you wanted and more. So check that out, everyone. Very very good. Uh, so we're here with our good, well, with my good buddy, Bradley Barnes, Gomer's acquaintance. They have met once or twice. And um, Barnes has been at uh, Barn, uh, Barnes, can I say, like, who you work for and stuff? You want to keep that? Uh, not? Okay, I plan so, on embarrassing myself too much, so. <laughs> uh, Barnes is a youth minister out here in the Cincinnati area. I'm, uh, I'm who knows where. Um, <laughs> it's a mystery. Yeah. Given your given to your desires to make wild accusations, uh, actually, yeah, you make worse ones than I do sometimes. Um, <laughs> but not about the same things. Uh, so Brad is uh, Barnes is a very good buddy of mine. He's a uh, he's a youth minister. He used to be the Reds' mascot. He's an all around great guy, and I just thought, it'd be, and he's like Barnes has been an early fan of the podcast, and and I've wanted to have him on for some time. And maybe like two months ago, or not, probably like like a month ago or so, we we were out at a bar like one in the morning with our buddy Anthony, who's also a big fan of the podcast. And I was like, "Fine, Barnes, I will book you." And here we are. Boo! Magic was scheduled. <laughs> oh, oh, oh my gosh! And I I forgot like the really like big thing. Uh, Barnes, what's your lasting contribution to catching foxes, not including? this episode well long before catching foxes was a glimmer in your eye (laughs) i decided that the best way for me to deal as as a convert to the faith and only being in youth ministry and working with catholic churches for like six seven years i found out real quick the only way to be able to deal with especially younger franciscan franciscan graduates was to drink every time they mentioned a household so i kind of started up the franciscan drinking game ah nice 
past. Yeah. So that's where it, it comes from. And then uh, you also created the Catching Foxes bingo for the live podcast that we did last last uh, early on this year. Which is awesome. Which was awesome. The live that podcast, that, if you that, haven't no, heard it. it, it oh, sorry. my gosh. I was crying laughing so hard. <laughs> you nailed Luke. <laughs> I, I, I passed a couple of those little prompts on to my wife, and I was like, did this go too far? And then she was like, eh, maybe this one, maybe that one, tweaked a little bit. Then the night of, I, I took Luke's wife, Erin, aside, and I was like, um, I need your opinion on a few of these. <laughs> so I got the imprimatur from her, and we rolled with it. But that was a fun night. <laughs> and Aaron's like, it did not go far enough. <laughs> there was one where oh shoot luke it might have been some of the stroke stuff and she was like ah. i was like oh man that would have been my favorite one <laughs> i mean this one's repulsive yeah <laughs> luke's stroke so, of genius i um i'm i've got a question for the for the both of you guys uh so this week it's been a uh Heck of a week. It's been about a week. So we typically record on Wednesdays. So it's been a little over a week since the uh, grand jury report came out. I'm just curious to see, like, where you guys are with all of this right now. Uh, well, I'm, uh, Grand jury report? What grand jury report? No, I'm, uh, uh, I am in a very weird place. I realized this uh, a couple days ago, maybe yesterday, actually, that I... I'm actually really depressed, like about this whole deal. And I show up to work with like zero energy, enthusiasm, anything. I'm just like, what's the point? What's the point? Some bishop's gonna screw it up anyway. Like I, I don't think of an actual bishop when I say these words, but that's what runs through my head. Like I've had to deal with my wife. Yeah, you know, I, I think I shared this before. There was a, a, an incident where my wife was doing uh, a retreat. And someone asked about women priests, and my wife told what the church teaches about women priests. And then the principal interrupted my wife and said, well, we had Bishop so-and-so, and he said the exact opposite, blah, blah, blah. And it was a total, like, non-answer that the bishop gave. Like, it was a total cop-out. And I thought, as a layperson, like, we could lose our jobs if people complain and blah, blah, blah. And you just hear this stuff, and you're like, what the hell, man? Why are we the ones putting our neck out on the line? And you have job security, and you can't even say the truth. And uh, it's stuff like that that really has has made me very frustrated. And I remember one time I was complaining about a handful of priests to a priest, and I was trying to tell them, like, don't do these things. And uh, another priest walked in and goes, okay, okay, let's not just bash the Lord's anointed or something like that. And I was like, uh, and that just rubbed me the wrong way. And I get what he was saying, but uh, no one gets a free pass from old Gomer anymore. And that's what the scandal taught me. <laughs> How about you, Barnes? I mean, so when Luke, we were scheduled to do this last week, and I was talking to Luke before we started recording, and um, we talked a little bit prior to, and I was talking with some college freshmen last Tuesday evening about the former Cardinal McCarrick stuff, and I get this text from Luke, and he's he's like, this grand jury report's come out. Can we bump this back a week having you on? And I was like, sure, what the heck is happening? Looked into it on Wednesday, and it was just like 
three days of suck just like in a row yeah. culminating in we've got a great group of dads who meet at the um, parish before morning mass on Fridays and they just completely you know threw everything they were going to talk about they have a little, a little syllabus they threw everything they were going to talk about out the window and they said we need to talk about this so I just sat and listened to these guys unpack this as just like ground level parishioners and you know, me chiming in there because I get to be there not so much as someone who works for the church, but just as a guy. And it was like that was all the hurt and frustration and depression and everything that this news is doing to us as Catholics in the local church just kind of hit in that pinpointed area right on the chest. And I like, man, prayer life has been tough and the tough conversations have just continued with all these different people. And I'm seeing the trickle down in people who think that we here in Cincinnati, like our priests, our archbishops talking about it too much. There's people who think that they're not talking about it enough. I was talking to a friend who runs a Catholic bookstore right down the street from our church and from my home. And um, unexpectedly we're having this conversation yesterday and she was telling me how people are coming into her store and this is a woman who's, you know, getting into senior age and people are coming off the street and yelling at her and telling her what a horrible person she is just for working in a Catholic bookstore. And this sucks, man. <laughs> I was having a super difficult time till about yesterday afternoon. Um, I honestly, I was on the phone with Gomer yesterday and I, uh, you know, uh, I don't know if, I, I, I told you how I felt like I was grieving. Like it just kind of, I just, I was, I really just like shut down. Um, and it took me a while to kind of figure out like, what's like, what's going on here? And I just realized that I'm like, I don't, I don't and I still don't know what I was grieving, but I was definitely, I mean, there's all these things. There's just the fact that this stuff happened. There's the cover-ups that happened. There's the institutional um, stuff within the church that is like that, um, that, um, th that enabled all this that I feel like hasn't really gone away per se. And, but I, I I can't say like what was the one like thing that really hurt. And um, I put a thing on Twitter where I said I just feel like everything's so uh, it's just so futile and shallow. And because this is how I felt with my work, like who wants to go to a Dawson's thing right now? Like honestly, who would go to this? And is like. Like, just like you said, Gomer, is everything just, like, stacked against us? And, like, it's so – it's just – it's so – like, it's – it is – the only word I can really, like, kind of, like, kind of use to express what I was feeling was disheartened, but in the most profound way I've ever experienced. So um, – and I went to confession with a priest because I was just in such a bad headspace. And he and um, he was and he was an African priest, and so it took me like half the time I was just trying to like understand what he said, and then the other half the time I was like, oh my gosh, this is it. I was trying to I was just trying to like process what he said because it was so incredible, and uh, but like what he what he was really getting at was one like the church needs to and trust and have hope that she's going to like do the right thing. And then that the church is really like two things. She is both like divine, and she is, she, she like has like her like human side, 
And I need to really emphasize those two things within my within my own life. One is that I need to pray constantly, you know, and like be praying, be praying for, be, be, be praying for the church as as like well. And then I need to look at, you know, what's going on in my like in my like own life, and like that's the human side. And he got to, uh, you know, he's like, what you need is a lot more like discipline. And I was like, what? And um, <laughs> but he brought up, I know, but he brought this great point where he, where he said, like, if you don't get this in control, you're going to cause scandal within the church, and we cannot afford that right now. And I was like, oh my gosh, you're so right, holy priest from Africa. Um, how are the rains? Um, <laughs> I blessed them, <laughs> and uh, it was just I don't know. It was there was a lot of like healing in that, and just it really. Um, so for me, and then I went to adoration and that was and i've been going to like adoration almost every day i didn't go today but i've been going for about anywhere from about a half hour to an hour and that's been really really good i'm still really upset i still have this profound frustration and anger within me that i cannot i have to make sure i do not let get out of control but i do feel like i'm kind of coming out onto the other side of this now and really honestly i had a really um i just uh when i put the thing up on twitter yesterday i had a great tweet from our friend jd flynn that was so incredibly helpful he's just saying how now like what you're doing is is it is it is like the most it's the most unneeded right now which is what father mike schmitz was kind of getting they're like we need catholic leaders right now well we need you to be a saint right now and um yeah, so I'm, st- I'm. I still have a. I still have a really heavy heart. I'm not convinced that um, the things that need to happen, to the fullest extent that they that they need to happen, are going to happen. But I do have a lot of hope right now, and so I'm kind of at a point now where I'm like, so when do we stop? And that's the stop. But this is this is the question I want to I want to ask both of you. Um, so then, like, what? It's like, what next? Like, 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 what's the next? And we, you know, like, not in terms of like, what are some unpractical things, but like, like, what's the very next thing that is like three guys who work for the church? What can we do in the very practical way? Man, that's the question. I've been, I've been struggling with just not even as a guy who works for a church, but just as a Catholic man and a husband and you know, a godfather and all this other stuff, like how far do we take this in insisting that what's still covered up, what's still in the dark come to light? How, you know, is that helpful? Is that healthy? Is that respecting victims that are out there that are still unknown? Are we just going to, you know, plug the dam and then in another 20 years, you know, the levee breaks again? Mm Mm-hmm. I don't know, man. I'm still. I'm really glad to hear that you had that great experience. It's still like super raw for me. Uh, for me, uh, let me just like. <sighs> I am so done sitting on the sidelines waiting for other people to take the lead in faith. Um, I think what we need more than anything else is to reread. Chapter one, a generation of saints from becoming a parish of intentional disciples from Cherry Waddell. It's the only chapter she contributed. And it's about these people in France who just decided that they were going to be saints and they were going to live heroic lives. And all of a sudden, 
they started a seminary and vocations and religious orders and all that. I don't think that we have to. We, I mean, the code of canon law says the lay people they don't need to wait on anything. Like we have the right and the obligation to start proclaiming the word. And I think part of the problem is we've defined church by the mass. And it really hit home when this Protestant guy was at a Sumbul Youth Conference. I think I might have shared this, and he said, "Why? I'm really confused. Why? I keep hearing this all weekend. Why is it the only thing you people ever talk about is going getting kids back to mass?" He's like, do you think that that's the only thing that there is? Like, how come I never hear Catholics talk about the kingdom of God? And I was like, well, because the Catholic churches for a long time, our theology was the church is the kingdom of God. Pope John Paul II put a little distance between that. But, um, and he's like, wait, really? And, he, and I was like, yeah, like, he's like, so social justice and, you know, loving your neighbor and doing this and doing that, that's not a part of it. And that's when I started to realize, like, we have so minimized the lay vocation. And I'm like, okay, well, th this is what I have to do for my sanity going forward. Like, I'm so frustrated with the institutional church, but that's such a small part of the church. That's such a small part of the kingdom, but we've made it everything. And not because the source, I mean, obviously the Eucharist, the Mass is the source and summit of the faith, but what happens in between? That's the kingdom. <laughs> like, like, we are a Eucharistic people, of course. But then what do we do when we receive the Eucharist? That's what I want to be exhausted focusing on my time on because right now it is too exhausting trying to figure out how to clean up the church right like i know other than complaining to the people who might listen that i'm not i'm not really going to change things like no one's going to care what michael gormley thinks unless we get a little catching foxes bump but no one's probably going to care about that but i know that people right around me are going to care about how much i love them and it sounds like a cop-out because it's kind of like well you know abuse isn't happening here therefore but it's not like I think doubling down on kingdom, community, all that stuff, all the stuff that lay people are supposed to care about, like becoming holy. I really do think that that's the missing link in all of this. Pope Francis said it. He said this is uh, let me just paraphrase, but he said basically this is the most vile form of clericalism. And I think that's true because we prefer the people or the priest over the people or the bishop over the people. And we even prefer the bishop over the seminarian. You know, and so my whole thing is like, I'm going to stop doing that. I'm not going to dishonor the priesthood. That's stupid. And I'm not an anti-clerical person. What I'm going to do is rally around my lay vocation, domestic church, you know, preaching the gospel, the word of God, all that stuff, because it's all I know how to do now. Like, I can't rely, I mean, I can rely on my parish priest to give me the sacraments, but you know what? Like, I'm done asking for the church's permission for me to be a lay person. Does that make sense? I like this podcast because you you guys tend to externally put out there Nazi. everything that <laughs> just all the pieces. So when you were saying all that, Gomer, um, I just felt like, I don't know, man. Yes, I agree. Agreement. Well, I mean, the, the thank you. The reason why I'm saying that is I feel like there and I've criticized this tendency, right, where you say. You know, when is the church going to do something for young adults? When is the church, and there is an element where the hierarchy, USCCB, whatever, needs to do more for this or that age group, you know, especially singles. I, I keep processing this over and over again, and I keep feeling like I'm the only stumbling block. Like the Code of Canon Law talks about our uh, freedom to preach the Word of God, and we need to be able to do that in multiple ways. Like, I mean, if you read Redemptoris Missio, and I, I was going over that um, with Dave Van Pickle the other day, if you read that it talks about the number one witness that we can give is our uh, is the simplicity of our christian life 
And that's where it starts. And I start looking at my life and I'm like, well, crap, my life looks just like everyone else's. How can I live this? Like, what does that even mean? And so, like, I want to become more concerned. And the other thing I did was immediately invite Father David Hust over, who's a friend of mine, who's a household brother, drink. Uh, the, uh, I invited him over just to be, and I invited some families. And it's like, we're just going to hang out. We're not, and he he was like, hey, I got myself in the car. I can come bless your home. And I was like, no, you're, Father Curtis, um, in our uh, Patreon page said this, he said, don't, if you're going to invite people over like priests over, don't then make them be like, like they're at work. And I said, no, man, right now, like you're never going to shut off being a priest, but right now you're not on. And I was like, we'll set up a time when you can come and do the, you know, a mass in our house and bless the house. And I know my pastor loves doing stuff like that. I said, but not tonight. You just get to be you. And he's like, I can't stop being a priest. And I said, I know, but you don't have to work. You get to be you as a priest, but you don't have to work. And he was able to relax and enjoy it. I hope he enjoyed it. So, Gomer, I everything that you were just saying about inviting over priests. Um, so I've only been Catholic, like I said, for I just celebrated eight and a half years. And so especially with relationships with priests, I've just seen myself turn a complete 180. Because I grew up um, in the area of town I live now as a Protestant, um, went across the river into Kentucky to a Catholic private school for a couple years, um, which if anyone out there listening knows Protestants going to Catholic schools, love on them, be nice to them. It was an extremely negative experience for me. Oh, really? Um, well, I, no one, and I mean, I think we could all figure that this is happening in Catholic high schools and grade schools, no one took the time to invite me in to what was happening. No one took the time to explain what was going on. It was all just assumed. And um, yeah, it, it became really negative because all I got to see of the Catholic faith was these people who, these friends of mine, these teachers, some of them very good people, but most of them just in a corporate, you know, whole chunk kind of exposure, just people who are not living lives that I had faith to a level that I wanted to emulate or I felt I wanted to see as someone who wanted that personal relationship with Jesus. In the midst of that, that's when all the O2 scandal stuff started coming out. Right, right. So from the beginning, my perspective of Catholicism was tinted and tainted by that. And I, you know, through the different ebbs and flows of the, you know, decade plus that followed, um, you know, developed closer Catholic friendships, had Catholic friends leave the church, met my wife, um, who's an awesome, amazing Catholic woman. Um, and through her started coming to mass, got married in a Catholic church, received into the Catholic church, and then basically found my opportunity to get into youth ministry, which is something I'd always wanted to do, even as a Protestant, and thought that door was kind of closed as being a Catholic. All this to say, I started getting more and more exposed to the church, the Catholic Church as a whole, and priests in particular, throughout that process. And the best opportunities for growth and for me to change the way that I look at the more higher up, hierarchical pieces of our church have come from these personal relationships with priests from our—we have an auxiliary bishop here in Cincinnati who my in-laws are 
you know, connected to them. One of my parishioners is cousins with him. And he's just a great gregarious, like almost grandpa kind of a guy. I was actually walking around downtown this weekend with some of my freshman students and my wife and I took him out and we ran into him because he lives above one of the churches there. And he's just, he's jumping in for selfies. He's great. And it's getting to know these guys, auxiliary bishop, our archbishop, um, a priest who was a parochial vicar at a parish I used to work for, priests I've met who are vocation directors, work at the seminary, my spiritual director. It's getting to know them in their humanity, knowing that, yes, they are priests, and, you know, ontologically something is different with them than, you know, what's going on with me. But smoking a pipe with them, having one of them be the one who introduced me to, I love scotches and bourbons and all that delicious brown goodness. Um that's been that's probably paid more spiritual dividends for me than most of the talks that I've been to, the Lighthouse Catholic Media CDs I've listened to because I'm a nerd and I love to <laughs> gobble them up. Bold. Uh, than any of the community videos that I've ever watched. Oh, what you take that I'm, back? You take they that were back. Amazing. <laughs> no, but like I I love everything that you were saying as far as. When people are inviting priests over, and I actually thought this while I was listening to, um, don't you say another podcast. Well, I was listening to the crunch and, <laughs> but no, like, and, and you guys were saying some of this stuff too. And yes, just like a million times. Yes. When, when we're engaging priests, like there needs to be real community for them. And we can't just, even, I think there are movements within the church that are like, yeah, priests need community. But we're still segmenting that because it's us as lay people saying, yeah, you guys need community. Find it amongst yourselves. Like, no, they need like they need the blessings of I know a lot of younger priests who love how connected in they are with families that are in the parishes that they interned with or families that have just reached out and had them over to dinner. And they're like godparents for, you know, the ninth out of 10 children that they have or whatever, you know, like that stuff means so much to these guys to be connected into the lives of lay people and we forget that. And so, yeah, yeah. End of, end of my rant. So Luke, welcome back. We're happy to have you. Thank you. Thank you. Sorry for the technical difficulties on my end. I'm going to have a word with spectrum tomorrow. Anyways, go on everyone. Now, Luke, now you've changed the subject. <laughs> I, because I did two very long rants. No, <laughs> there's no going back. Um, no, I, I just I'm gonna I'm going to interject myself here, like I was here the the, the whole time. I've been convicted of of that as well. That when I have a guys' night, I need to have at least one priest there because they deserve it. Like they deserve to be a part of that, you know. And I think that's really important. And uh, you know, I um I my hope. In this, so I I really had a last uh, this week. I've been so I've got an event tomorrow night, and I've been struggling with do I bring this up? What do I say? What is what does this look like? You know, blah 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 blah. And so and at first I was like, do I make an announcement before we have mass? And I'm like, and my team's like, ah, eh, that that would be kind of like kind of weird. Then I thought about do I have like a Facebook post? And then it just kind of like hit me last last night while I was talking to Aaron about it. This just needs to like what I want to do. And where and what I feel like what God is calling me to do, I need to communicate to 
that to people in the flesh in conversations because i think like the answer ultimately is we need to be profoundly who we are which is the catholic church and that doesn't mean and we've talked about this over and over again but it's not just at mass it's when we're hanging out at the bars when we're over at each other's houses like we need to be who we are we need to be a church that's there for each other that's we need to be in community with each with each other and i um in a weird way like i think we need to look like um i don't know i just think um i'm just kind of like the church is so isolated i think that um a lot of catholics feel very isolated and i think this needs to be the death of that needs to be the death of of isolation needs to be the death of our priests being um on their own isolated needs to be the death of um, people being stuck in their own sin hidden like it, that's it needs to stop lots of rants lots of rants everyone um do you guys no you go you go did i felt a very concrete moment of fear yesterday i was walking around just a store i had a free afternoon i had my talk with my friend at the catholic bookstore going out doing a few errands and I was walking around I think it was just like Target or something and I was noticing all the people and for the first time like ever I think even back when I was a Protestant Christian that fear of like what if someone finds out that I'm like a Catholic and then I thought about that later and thought about you know we're as we're talking about some of these priest guys like and how isolated they might be if they're going out and they're clerics they don't have like a choice, people are going to identify them. I had a, um, a lunch with a priest friend on Monday. And after I had this, you know, whole moment of like, Ugh, I kind of thought back to that. And I was like, man, I, you know, what, what would we have done if somebody had just, you know, called him out in the middle of this restaurant? Um, there's, you know, I peruse around all those stupid sites like church pop and all that stuff. But like, you know, there's priests that are getting, uh, the Byzantine priest getting beaten up. Person just walks in and you know beats the crap out of him. And um, there's another guy. I think he posted something on Twitter. Maybe I'm not on the Twitters, but he was just kind of going, "What do I do when someone just out of the blue? I'm walking around and someone calls me a pedophile." Um, do you think that? we need to find ways to be even more visible as lay people with our faith so that we can take the hits too. Uh, I don't know. <laughs> My biggest thing is this. We need to somehow make sure the bishops know this stuff. Cause like, here's the deal. Like so many don't even drive themselves places, you know, like there's layers of abstraction. And that's the phrase that I use that, I feel like really encapsulates a lot of the stuff that I feel it's that they, it's not that they don't care. It's that they're abstracted from feeling the force of what's going on. Not all of them, not all of them, but a lot of them. There is a wonderful article on now is the time to get rid of the Imperial um, Episcopate. And he said, you know, like the, in the early church, the bishops used to be called fathers, but after Rome converted, the bishops became known as, they took on the Roman court titles. 
And it's kind of cool, you know, like you're destroying Caesar, right? So, but that's where we got like your eminence and your worship and your excellency. All of those were Roman court titles. And it's like, well, maybe now what we could do is just go back to calling him father. And he, and this was an article written by a Catholic priest. He advocated doing away with even um, auxiliary bishops. And he said, because you have to either make the diocese smaller and let him just be a bishop, but the people in charge have to still be doing ministry. And I think there's a lot of wisdom in that. Um, I mean, Wait, I mean, can you repeat that like last line? The really, people really in quick. charge still have to be doing ministry. Like administration is is one of the things that's killing our bishops. And it's definitely one of the things killing the priests when they're administering three or four different parishes, you know, or, or God forbid having to close a parish. Um, it gets it gets so difficult. But the deal is like you're, you you get so out of touch when you're not engaged in active work. I agree yeah. with that but. for every every diocese across this country, except for ours, because our auxiliary bishop and archbishop are like this adorable buddy cop movie, and it's really funny <laughs> to watch. So get rid of all the other auxiliary bishops, but <laughs> diocese states how it is. I love that. Yes. That's great. I agree. Not that I would know. But um, like, like, are they in community? Those two bishops? Well, they don't live together. Precisely. So yeah. let me ask you this. Have you laughed harder at the bishop's jokes, even if they're not as funny? <laughs> like, don't we all give, like someone said to a CEO, um, you know, like, what should I expect? He said this to one CEO to another, and he said, uh, well, you're the new CEO. Prepare to be a lot funnier than you deserve. And he's like, what are you talking about? He's like, everyone's going to laugh at your jokes, man, because you're the boss. And I, I mean, like, yeah, that happens all the time. You treat the boss differently. So where's his equal? How does he get to... You know, how does he get to be the bishop? You know, how does he get to be a man? The priests are going to treat him like the bishop, you know? Yeah. Well, that's one of the things about when you're in a, when you're in an extreme leadership to, to like where, to where like ring of power is to be alone. You know, that's. Yeah, but that wasn't it's the biblical so understanding. That's the argument of this mm. priest in this article. That's mm. not the biblical understanding. Paul never went out on a missionary journey alone because hmm. you yeah. know that being alone is where the devil destroys you. And that's the thing that I'm like, I don't want this. Like the hardest thing in my life is being married. You know, the most annoying thing is being a dad. Like I love being a dad. Don't get me wrong. But like the kids, it's a different type of hard. Like my kids challenge my patience, challenge, you know, those types of virtues. But my kids are my kids. Like, I can tell them to go to bed, and they have to go to bed. Like, you know, like, they don't get to argue with me. My wife yeah. gets to argue with me. My wife gets to tell me I'm, a, I'm being an ass. Like, she wins those arguments. I don't know if I'm being clear, but I'm not just no, like. No, no, that's a really good, that's a, that's a, a very good distinction. Right. And my kids like they, we, they, I, I didn't mean like I hate it when I, people make fun of their kids. But like the idea is the type of challenge is the level of accountability. Whereas with your kids, it's more like disappointment. Right. <laughs> like you're just disappointing. Your kids. So, you have you have more opportunities for growth with Shannon because she challenges you. Yeah. As opposed to I've had this tough, difficult moment with my children. But at the end of the day, they got to listen to me. Yeah, and I can send them to bed on trumped-up charges <laughs> at any time that I want. <laughs> and I do, <laughs> especially when Daddy wants to hang out with Mommy. <laughs> if you know what I mean. 
<laughs> Shannon makes you watch NAS, NASCAR. Um, but Luke, you did you just that... make a NASCAR joke? I did. Gordon. Um, I'm just going to throw Rod names. Earnhardt. Um, <laughs> Rick. I'm sure that there, there's like a Rick there. Oh, that's I'm sure there's 20 or 30. <laughs> and he probably has a mustache. Um, uh, I, I actually used to have an Uncle Rick who was real into like NASCAR. So Coincidence? Okay. There you go. Yeah, there you go. And he had a mustache. <gasps> uh, what am I trying to say? I had a good point, then I lost it. I'm so sorry, everyone. I'm a piece of shit. Um, yep. <laughs> Look, I have actually known you for 30 years, and I agree. Um, oh, okay. So I wonder if, like, perhaps we do go to smaller dioceses. You know? And I know that's going to upset a lot of people, like, cause you, cause, but I think if you did that i don't know like because so many of these like so many of our priests are are overwhelmed which then also means that so many of the bishops are probably overwhelmed as well okay picture this picture this um someone said i might have said this on the show but someone said imagine what it's like being a bishop you're like okay he said you know like when you're in youth ministry and you have that teen that's like a cutter or is sexually active in like dangerous ways, and you have to deal with the issue, right? You have a uh, a kid who is just on, at, you know, at the end of their rope kind of thing, right? And he said those hard cases, there's like seven of them sitting on your bishop's desk. It's like, and he has to deal with that stuff every day. And when you start to think about it from that perspective, right, it is brutal the types of stuff that a bishop has to deal with. And he's dealing with it largely alone. Not entirely. A lot of bishops do have, you know, a handful of priest friends, or hopefully they're in the same area as maybe as their family. But oh, that's that's not the case. Yeah. Usually. And the other thing about right. this priest, um, his article was he pointed out the careerism among priests, and he said the careerism has to stop. He said careerism as a priest is a pure cancer. When you have men who are in um, the seminary thinking like. Okay, so I'll do these assignments in order to become a, you know, like a monsignor or, you know, I'll try to become a rector because then, you know, that's the road to getting, becoming a bishop or I'll try to be an auxiliary bishop. He said, no, like you should make as far as possible a bishop should come from their diocese because that way there's not this like desire to, you know, this desire to uh, move up the hierarchy by being moved around the country. Mm, Yeah. So that is the coolest part about our archdiocese. Shout out Bishop Joseph Benzer, because he is a hometown boy. He's the auxiliary bishop I was talking about. He is awesome. I think for that very reason, he's got deep roots. He's got people around. He's got family around here. He's just a great guy. What's his and name? I love our Joseph Benzer. And he's, he's the dude. He's he, awesome. He's the man. I can't tell you why I know this, but I just, I have heard that he's very jovial, just a very joyful man and just kind. Yeah, we, so we confirm kids every year. Some, some in our archdiocese do it every two years. We do it every year. And so our kids get the trade-off, archbishop and bishop. And I'm not going to lie, the kids are a little bit (laughs) more receptive and excited when Bishop Benzer's in, but like I was saying about like, it's, it's a good interplay. Um, 
I think he's the jovial one. He gets to be the the fun, the good cop. And yeah, like the amount of just crap on our archbishop's desk, um, things that we all know are happening around the archdiocese and maybe we're going, oh, I don't know why that's not getting fixed. Those and a million other unspoken ones just weighing on a person in the midst of isolation, lack of community. I had one of um, my former students talking to me about he had just coming out of high school found out just physically like where our archbishop lives. And I would imagine this is the same for a lot of, um, you know, a lot of bishops and archbishops around the country just living in this big house kind of, you know, segmented out there mystery. No one really knows kind of where he is or how to get to him. And now in light of all this and everything we've been talking about, like there's a, there's a sadness to that. I desperately have made it no secret that I want to be super best friends with our archbishop. I never get to hang out with him. I may even have, I may even have a friend who works for the archdiocese, several. Um, huh, that friend never hooks me up hmm. with a lunch date or anything. Oh, what a horrible person. Yeah, really bad person. Don't like him or her at all. Don't don't <laughs> like that one, whoever he or she may be. Wherever he may fall on the gender spectrum. Yes. <laughs> or not. I don't know. Who knows? Oh, boy. So, uh, yeah. Um, so, Bradley, tell us what's going on in youth ministry. <laughs> Let's talk about intentional discipleship. Hey, everybody. Who are your disciples right now? Have you found your Have you found your three? Oh my gosh! Um, yeah, youth ministry. It's interesting because are we really making this topic switch? By the way, <laughs> I have no idea. No, I was. Just... <laughs> yes, I'm depressed. Let's move on. Sounds good. <laughs> well, like when I received my call to youth ministry, and the first thing I want to say, and Gomer. Please weigh in on this because I know that you you started in youth ministry, right? Yeah, ten years. Yeah, did he though? One of the <laughs> really one of the things that drives me nuts is well, if you're talking about careerism with priests, I hate to see careerism with lay people in the church. And even when I was Protestant, like there's that cliche quasi statistic of the shelf life of a youth minister being like eighteen to twenty four months. Yeah. But you see that all the time. Uh-huh. And in the Protestant world, especially, you see that guys and girls are there. I mean, let's face it, mostly guys, because the church has a huge gender gap. But um, they're there for a couple years, but they're really just gunning for assistant pastor or senior pastor with some young startup church or something like that. And in the Catholic sphere, too, um, it's just—it's still never looked at as— something you can sink your, I don't know if it's not something you can sink your teeth into. I personally take huge offense to that just because, I mean, I don't know if, if, if I'm ever going to do something different with my life, I have absolutely no idea what it would be because youth ministry is what I've wanted to do since I was a middle schooler in youth group. And you've got people who seem to be wanting to do the best that they can, start a little fire, get a group up to a certain size and then get out. Um, and then in the midst of that too, every, it seems like everything about youth ministry and what it's supposed to be is changing. 
And so what I felt like I was called into is not what I feel like I'm called to do. Okay. What do you mean by that? It's it's super stressful. Well, just everything that Sherry Waddell talks about. And, you know, Uh, intentional discipleship gets thrown around all the time. Intentional discipleship, missionary discipleship, the buzzwords of the church and church ministry bug me to no end. Um, But I loved so much of what she was saying in there. There's a need, and I see it with the kids and the families that I work with. They need people investing in a smaller, more on-the-ground, personal way. I, for a certain amount of time, was the kid who disengaged after I was out of youth group because maybe I wasn't you know, in the closest of close circles um, being discipled by a youth minister. Um, I've seen and worked for a youth minister who had a, a group of X amount of kids, you know, that youth minister left, that cult of personality is dissolved. And I saw what was left behind. And I see which of those kids are practicing or not practicing. And that kid was in the in the in group and that kid wasn't. And it's challenged me so much. And I'm very thankful because my first couple years of youth ministry, I was an assistant youth minister. Assistant to the regional manager. Assistant to the youth minister. That joke got made all the time. You son of a bitch. Um, <laughs> Keep it going. <laughs> And, um, and that's where I kind of had to pick up the pieces. This, uh, you know, the person I worked with left in the middle of a school year for, uh, important reasons. And I won't, you know, get too far into that, but just, Oh, how I want you. If I, I know. <laughs> how do you know what I'm talking about? Um, <laughs> but if I, I had the opportunity to stay at that parish, it was a bigger parish than the one I'm at now. Um, the group size was bigger what they were looking for or thought they should be looking for was big youth group, something to show off. I'm not trying to try to downplay them. I, I, I still love this parish. I still live very close to this parish. Um, but they wanted everything I grew up with. Weekly meeting, um, sing some songs, do some small group, hear a polished talk, have a certain number of kids get out of there. If I'd stayed there, I think... I could have done that competently, but because of a lot of things happening, um, I wasn't offered the job going forward. I spent a lot of time struggling, praying, tearing my hair out. Um, and then the opportunity to come to the parish that I'm at was brought to me and my wife and I took that to prayer and we said, ah, you know, like we don't want to just leave. There's a lot left to do. Are we just going to leave because were frustrated with how things ended up at this parish, but it ended up being so good because if I'd stayed at the former parish, it would have been business as usual. Coming to the church that I serve at now, um, they had basically nothing to work with. They'd kind of had youth ministry. They felt the pressure to hire a full-time youth minister after what they had had kind of gone by the wayside. And it's been a learning experience in trying to build something up and at the same time being led by the Holy Spirit to desire something more than what we, something more than the box that we put youth ministry into, which is run your youth group and and your success will be measured on how many kids you've got in that youth group. Well, then how do you measure success? How many kids you don't have in the group? Oh, 
personal holiness of the people involved? I don't know. Yeah. Oh, that's a good one. Okay. Good call. Yeah. Good call. I mean, <laughs> yeah. Well, I mean, and that's the thing, you know, cause I've had to deal with, I've been in my parish for four years and it's been tough because those numbers have been nowhere to be found. But in the meantime, one thing I think that the Lord's provided an opportunity for has been to get to know families and get to know people, um, to get to be involved in people's lives in a deeper dimension than I had had the opportunity to um, previously. And that feels better. And so this last um, this last week, uh, I was talking about having college freshmen. I had them over to my house. They're newly minted college freshmen. They're getting ready to spread all over Ohio and beyond and go to their various various institutes of higher learning. And just getting to be with them and see the young people that they've become. And these are not even kids that, you know, are quote unquote youth group kids. They've not come with any kind of regularity, but I've known them in a more organic way. I've known their families. I've gotten to be involved with their schools. I've, you know, in some small way, maybe not as intentionally and, and deeply as I would have liked, but I've had the opportunity to invest and disciple. And it's been hard letting them go because this is the first crop I've seen kind of go through full, four full years. And that feels good. I have a certain sense of peace about that. Yeah. I know the Lord wants to do more, and I'm trying to figure out what that more piece is, but there's been a lot of affirmation on that person-to-person level. So now it's like, how do you how do you make a quote-unquote program out of person-to-person, small, intentional, discipling youth ministry? The, the big game-changer for me was the book— um... Oh, what do you call it? Uh, cocaine. <laughs> cocaine. <laughs> um, contemplative youth ministry. You ever heard? You heard? No. That was a book that, that deeply challenged my model because the guy was the son of the founder of Youth Specialties, um, Mark Iaconelli and Mike Iaconelli. And everybody was expecting this man. I mean, the guy, the Youth Specialties has the best resources for youth ministry, all this stuff. Now it's owned by Zondervan Publishing, which is a Protestant publishing house. But um, they, oh, I know Zondervan. What's that? I said, oh, I know Zondervan. Yeah, I mean they're a huge publishing house. But the the thing about his um, approach was he realized that the whole point of youth ministry from the very beginning was to put people in touch with God in in Jesus Christ, right? Yet when he was doing youth ministry, he realized that he was constantly putting people in touch with him. Uh, his whim, you know, he had to be the perfect end all and be all. And, um, and he had to have a very cute Bible loving, you know, uh, assistant youth minister, youth pastor. And he was doing all the things that you're supposed to do and none of it was working. And so what he did was he pushed the brakes. He went on a retreat. He was basically having a nervous breakdown at work. He went on a retreat at an Episcopalian church where they were, it was led by like an old Catholic nun and, she, you know, like a hippie nun, though. And she sang, like, the song Sanctuary. Do you remember that song, Lord Prepare Me to Be a Sanctuary? Oh, yeah. Yeah, and so she said all this old stuff, but then they just did, like, Ignatian silent retreats and stuff like that. And he realized, like, so here I am trying to be the Christian version of MTV. And MTV is going to beat me 10 times out of 10. I should just be, G- like, give them Jesus. 
like like not in a, in a uh, you know i should give them spiritual mature spiritually mature practices that they can use for the rest of their life instead of hey look at my cool event and that was and so in the book he talks about how to slow things down all this stuff so when i was a middle school youth minister i i started changing a lot of the stuff and so i would do um silence i did this one where um we just had an icon and an old easter candle that we burned and um and we we literally had the kids process in with gregorian chant and just pray and i gave them a little description of the icon and the thing was the the crazy thing about it was the um the kids were coming up to me being like, oh, so this is why I should come to church. Like, like, like the exact opposite of the things I had spent the rest of my life killing myself over. They were so peaceful. We think that the kids want, I think you could even extend that out to every single person sitting in a pew in a church. We think that they want polish and fluff and I've heard it called cake. <laughs> we call it, we call it jumpy clappy. <laughs> yeah, I mean, like that stuff is we call it, it can be very good, <laughs> you hear Luke? but it's not what we want. Did you hear what Luke said? No, nope. he goes. We call it rebuild. <laughs> oh gosh! <laughs> but you know, it, the there was a line. There's a line from a Protestant pastor that is used in that book where he says, you know, if it takes a circus to get a child to come, it'll take a circus to keep the child coming. And so you end up youth ministry. The reason why it exhausts us. If you want to keep the numbers up, then you have to make a bigger, badder circus. And honestly, not to be rude, but, like, that's kind of what Young Life camps are. You ever hear about Young Life camps? Like, they are the elite camping experience. I mean, they have, like, planes flying, dropping crates from the sky with water balloons and all of this stuff. And it's camp. You know, it's supposed to be fun. But there is this element where it's like, um... I mean, I used to go to Young Life, and, and this is, I'm just speaking locally, uh, and I don't think it's like this anymore, but um, from what I've heard, but it was the crap, it was the thing where all the cool Christian kids hung out. And it was just goofiness. It, it had nothing spiritually significant. And uh, this guy was kind of writing against that, like, it's a sin to bore a, a teenager. And he's like, no, you got to give them the spiritual practices. You can't just treat them like all they are is, you know, MTV consumers, and that's it. Turns out youth can have spiritual maturity. I've been really honest with youth and students in saying, well, so for instance, I love, I was exposed my very first year of working in Catholic youth ministry to a Steubenville youth conference. And I love everything that goes on there. I'm not currently at a parish where we have any kind of a history or, um, huge drive to try to get kids to a summer youth conference, even though we're but a few hours drive away. I'd love for that to happen again. But the struggle with that that I started to see was, even with something like that that I think still invites kids in and 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 connects them with, you know, something that's not just all fluff, there's still a lot of production value and a lot of you know, big, crazy energy going on. Yeah. Um, and that'll happen even locally, things that happen with our archdiocese. Um, I fall into that trap, you know, in my local church and things that I try to put on. I've had to have a lot of conversations with people as I've been called more and more into 
a more contemplative side of things, seeking, hey, I've got to be the holiest youth minister that I can be. Um, and I have to invite people into that and invite them along that journey with me and not necessarily care about those numbers, even though maybe I'll get fired. Um, For the glory of God. Yeah. <laughs> but I have to find some way to bridge that that gap because I can't, I just don't even have, from a practical level, I don't have the help. I don't have the capacity. I don't have the materials and band, and I don't have all of that hullabaloo. <laughs> what I've got, though. What I've got is what I've got. <laughs> yeah. What I've got is me, and I've got what Jesus has done for me. And then beyond that, I've got Jesus himself, because we're a Catholic church, and if need be, I can take kids up into our sanctuary, and that's one of the things I love the most about being Catholic and being a Catholic youth minister is I can take kids and I can put them in front of Jesus and I can say, okay, you do it <laughs> <laughs> because I can't, I can't, I could try maybe for a couple weeks in a row to replicate some of the bigger stuff for my kids, but I can't yeah. keep it up. I mean, think about this. If you don't have the adults to be able to pull off, you know, large scale food and fun games and stuff, then you can't do it. So then you say, okay, well, what can I offer them? I can offer them, you know, I can offer them quiet. Can, <laughs> uh, the scripture, Lectio Divina, I can offer them, you know, you don't have to. This is the problem with professional youth ministry is we feel like the show has to be amazing. And, I mean, if you read Soul of the Apostle, one of the big things you take away is if you have an amazing prayer life and you truly do love the people you're serving, that, that's the other component. You don't have to have any of that. You don't. Mm -hmm. I, I wonder if I was reading, um, I want to say it's Balthasar, but I can't remember, so I apologize if it's not. But it was basically, no, I don't think it was. I think it was the book, um, The New Day Devil, actually. So, uh, or I don't, I don't know. So some book, and, and it really kind of talked about the difference between passing through and passing beyond. So this idea of if I'm in, you know, and I, I think it kind of relates to like really honestly everything that we have been talking about. So buckle up really quick. Um, when, when we refer to passing through, that is maintenance mode. That's just you're here, you're gone. We're going to like do our thing and hopefully we're, we're going to get as many people as as we can. We're going to keep the church up and running. We're going to, you know, keep the lights on. We're going to have priests to say all, all the masses that, that we have, even if they're not the best priest in, in the world. But we're done. We did it. Now let's all go home and, you know, do it again tomorrow. Where then when you talk like passing beyond... Uh, that really gets to, like, like having like really like have like roots in a th thing, and to, it's not. I think it means that y you have like you ha like you there has to be like healing because like either you're gonna die there, either e either you're gonna make it like beyond or you're not. You, you know, so either either you're gonna have life or you aren't, and it's. And if that's and if that's where you're at, um, I think it really makes things a little bit easier. 
honestly. It it, it kind of like it really makes those um, decisions e like e like easier than if you're like, well, we just have to get this group like through here and be done. We have to get this class through confirmation because it's their time, or we've got it. You know, we've got to um, get this priest. We just like have to move them because it's just time. It's bad. Does that make sense? Or my way off? No, no, here? no. So you're saying, I, I mean, I like that distinction, passing beyond. I, I just think that for so many of us in youth ministry or who were in youth ministry, the pressure of having numbers is so crippling, but they, I don't think people know why. They think numbers automatically mean success, but they've defined success as numbers, right? So it's like this permanent catch-22 where it's like, well, if you're going to have a good youth group, you got to have big numbers. And if you're going to have big numbers, that means it's a good youth group. And you're like, well, it's the same thing. <laughs> like, you're just, it's the, you know, the tail wagging the dog here. Like, what does an, a successful youth group mean? And if you don't have parity with your pastor on this, right, you're not, like, thinking and saying the same thing. Like, if your pastor wants numbers, and there might be a reason to have numbers. Like, you might have a massive youth group and our massive uh, high school population and minimal youth group that lack of numbers can not saying that it necessarily does but can show systemic problems like oh there's an issue going on here why don't the kids trust us or whatever it might be you know what i mean and so i think that for some pastors though numbers mean success in a lot of ways and in ways that they haven't necessarily thought out why and if you're coming in a group and you're like, listen, this is what I believe. I want to make these kids saints, and I want you to be on board for that. So I need you to be available for confession and counseling and reconciliation and, um, you know, holy hours and things like that. Then you can kind of understand, like, this is slow growth. This isn't – I'm not in a rush to inflate because you're not growing. You're just swelling. Yeah. I mean, how can you have, how can you have actually healing if you're just passing, if you're just um, uh, passing through? You can't right you're just on a conveyor belt or you're just a part of some like machine and it doesn't really matter it, then like you really don't matter which i i think that's kind of like what the pope was getting at when if he when he was i'm talking about wow like oh gosh he had this really great line in um his response to everything that has been going on where he said like or you like have something about like you have like horrible lives or something or just like unlivable like or or and or oh gosh sorry i am butchering this i can't remember what he said it was a really it was really like great line about how you just have no life you nerd yeah luke that was awesome you have no life we, you nerd <laughs> luke we don't respect the dignity of people when and again you see this all the time in youth ministry i could argue most parish ministry in general when we're saying this is the kind of person that we want to churn out, I want to, I want my youth ministry to churn out youth group kids, and that that just seems like the more that I pray about it and the more that I, you know, just live life, you know, go into year nine of being a Catholic man, that just seems like the least compatible thing with our Catholic faith of this should not just be churning out a bunch of the same person. We need to be churning out saints and the saints are all very different with one very important thing in common. 
if you don't know what your goal is, how are you ever going to get there, right? And so you have these um, very bizarre things where you have priests that are dissatisfied with their youth ministers, but their youth ministers are creating disciples of Jesus Christ, but they're not creating them at the numbers that the priests were expecting. And so the, the youth ministers are dismissed. I know a lot of youth ministers who are damn fine good youth ministers, and they were thrown out because they weren't growing the group as fast as the priest thought they should be. And, you know, maybe the, the priest and the youth minister did not have a good understanding of their, um, of their relationship, like what, what they should do for each other, like what is the goal. But if you sit down and you say, okay, this is what we want to do. We want to make disciples of Jesus Christ. What does a disciple look like? List five characteristics of a disciple, and how can we bring youth A, youth B, and youth C to that goal? Right? Like, it's, it's not freaking rocket science in some of these respects, right? Like, how can I, okay, I, I want someone who's loving, someone who serves other people, right? Someone who has community and is an evangelizer, right? Like, those are pretty decent goals. Okay, now, does having pizza and playing uh, a goofy game lead them to that? Well, it might if it helps them socialize with other kids in the youth group and connect. And, you know, you don't have to, like, hate on all of the youth ministry past stuff but at the same time it's like okay but sometimes is that stuff getting in the way of what we're trying to do and i don't think enough people are asking that question or youth ministers aren't asking that with their pastors but for the grace of god i look at where i came from and i look at how many youth ministers have been run through since i left and i thank the lord that i got called to a different place. My pastor is a good man. Um, he does not expect X amount of numbers from me, which is nice and very freeing. Sometimes frustrating because I lose sleep over knowing that it, that what we're doing is not yet what the kids I work with deserve. Okay, now what do you mean by that? What do you mean by that? I want I want a whole parish culture where we're invested in the lives of students. I want multiple adults that are, you know, making concrete, you know, they're plugging into kids' lives. They're investing in their spiritual journey. They're providing a good example. We're forming relationships, not just between the kids, but with, you know, older, more mature Christians. I, there's many things that I want to see. And there's not a lot of, we're not all on the same page yet as a local church. Mm -hmm, mm -hmm. Um, but again, within that, the positives are, the positives and the frustrations are, I, I'm the only one who sees that and is frustrated by that as of yet. I don't have the pressure that a lot of my brother and sister youth ministers, even in the area, have to, you know, say, you're at a parish of 6,500 people. Why is your youth group not 50 kids a week? Um, I've got none of that hanging over my head, which is great. <laughs> um, I probably would have been gone long before if that was the case. But I've also got an older pastor who, who may be gone in a year or two. I have no idea what's coming down the, pe down the pipe. Yeah. Not a clue. My wife, when she started out in youth ministry— Right out of college, young, naive, 
got bullied by adults. The priest that hired her said, I'm hiring you. This is my last year as a priest. They tell me I need to hire a youth minister. I don't know why I'm hiring you. And just like straight up was like, I don't need to do this. And she was like, well, okay, you know, whatever. And so he's like, so I have you meeting with a group of business executives who will instruct you on what you should be doing in youth ministry. So she had to meet with these business people at like 530 in the morning, every Monday morning. Her youth group met on Sunday night. So that was her life. And they literally gave her hundreds of phone numbers of teenagers to just call. She had to cold call teenagers and invite them to come to youth group because studies show we have X amount of people in the group. You need to have X amount of people or in the church, you need to have X amount of people in your youth group. She was miserable. People who had no clue what ministry is were dictating every single thing. And the priests were completely absent. So she was, she was worn out in less than a year. She stayed in for another year, but she should have left after that first year. She should have left immediately, but you know, we were young. But I see, I think the flip side of that too, because I can feel it creeping on sometimes is to have the freedom to not have that hanging over your head, but to not feel like anyone else is on the same page of like, you know, what, what are these commonalities that we want to see out of young people graduating high school? They've gone through all these years of Catholic grade school and high school or parish religion program at our church. If there's not other people who know this is what a disciple of Jesus looks like, this is what, this is the, these are the marks of a Christian that we want to see coming out of this church, albeit in many different ways, because people are all very different and called by God to be very, you know, different people. Um, It's lonely. And we have a good, a good push here in, in our archdiocese to where, um, they're trying to generate community among youth ministers of different parishes, but it just—it's still—it's lonely working at a parish and feeling like no one else cares about this stuff the way that you care about it. Um, yep, yep, yep. I get it. I get it. I get it. And it's so hard. And it's hard when your employer only sees it one way. You know, and thankfully, you know, you have a good kind of working situation right now. But um, this is what I'm talking about. This is why so many youth ministers get evangelization, because you can't get teens in the door unless you're evangelizing. And then you turn to people who run elementary education or uh, adult faith formation or other things where they just demand it. Right. And if you have, if you can hang a mandatory thing like a sacrament over people, that's what they do. They hang. That's why you have huge numbers for confirmation and no one their senior year, right? Like it, this cycle constantly perpetuates itself. Well, I really do think that a lot of. I mean, sorry, not not to be like beating the same drum over and over again, but that's what I do here. Um, that's why we call you the little drummer boy. <laughs> I like the Jarsaclay version the best. Um, actually, Copeland has a good oh, one. Oh, gosh, well. stop. Anywho, um, <laughs> which is just stop, Luke. Uh, I, I do think there's like, I feel like all of this is connected. Yes, yes. Like, there's this, there's this like rip between Chris Nature called the Anima Technica Vacua. Vac- but, <laughs> Sorry. 
Barnes, I still think, like, I mean, you should, <laughs> like, you should, I really want you to, I, I want to do, like, a talk on this and have you dress up as, like, an old, like, hobo, being like, I'm the honor my technique of Akua, and I'm here to kill your brain cells. There's, there's just this, um, there's this, there's this split, this, like, tear, this, like, rift, um, it's a really bad wound, honestly, between what the church is, sorry, between what, like, the church sh- should be and what she is, you know, or, like, or like what she is in her, in, um, in her, like, essence and her accidents, like, the things that we, you know, like, it's just, there's this gap that there that just really needs to, it needs to die, it needs to go away. Like I'm, I'm almost at the point now where I'm like, if we have people at, if if you have jobs at parishes where all they do is, you know, push papers, like why are we even collecting half? I, I don't know. This is getting a say deep. it. Say like, it. Say it. Why are we even collecting half the stuff that we are? Do we really need all this information that we're, you know, like trying to like file away? <laughs> I don't know. I'm, I'm sure that we do. <laughs> just trying to egg me. I'm like, I'm just saying, like, why do we create these things? Um, we just create so much work for ourselves to pull us away from people. And we just have to start, we, as, as a church, we have to start saying no, you know, and if it, and if it comes to it, we have to say, get behind me, Satan. I think there's ways that it can be used, you know, well, Nope. I just don't think that we're, <laughs> yeah, no, I, <laughs> we have, we actually have a group of people. We do uh, a couple things I think are really neat. Um, we have a group of people who just call parishioners who haven't been attending and just invite them, you know, like, Hey, you're a part of our church. We want to make sure that you're good. And a lot of times you find out that there's like a death in the family and people just, you know, they're devastated. And then they come and meet with the priest and all of a sudden, you know, our pastor is really great talking with people, especially people in like crisis situations and they come back to mass. Like, it's just someone took the time, you know, and you get a lot of people are like, I don't want to talk to you. Blah, 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 why are you doing this? It's like, okay, bye. Like, we'll be human. We'll be civil. We're not, we're not here to harass you. We're just here. And it's amazing how many people take you up on it, right? Yeah. Get a team together. Oh, so great. There's so many cool things you can do, but you can't do them. Someone needs to do them. And because right now you're the only one with that vision, that burden is falling on you, but, or, or the, the idea of it, it just sounds freaking exhausting. But you don't, it doesn't have to be you. You know, that's the beautiful thing. It doesn't have to be you. Do you have one other person that could carry that vision forward? Maybe. <laughs> that's what I'm praying for right now, you know? It's just people to, we, we've got some people that time will tell. Um, waiting, walking with them. We're going to see where this year goes. I'm hoping, I'm expecting big things from the Lord this year, but it's a holding pattern. That's hard. I think that's hard. I, I would imagine that's hard for a lot of youth ministers. It's really hard for me, but everything at the diocese is fine <laughs> at the diocese that I work at. Yeah. yeah. My, my archdiocese sucks. Everybody who works down there. So I've heard. Yes. I haven't, I, I haven't heard. Could you tell me more? My detail? mother-in-law who I said I would give a shout out to. Hi, Maureen. Uh, she works for the archdiocese, so there's one Wait. good person. Who? Oh, you're oh you're like mother-in-law. Yeah. Yeah. I love inside jokes. I'd love to be a part of one someday. 
<laughs> Shut up, Gormley. <laughs> okay, I will. Like, what is the point of youth ministry? It's to bring people into a living and vital contact with Jesus Christ and his church. Like, it has to be vital. It has to be my life. And yet, <laughs> you know, like, is everyone on board? So this is the funny thing that I realized. You can do a fun retreat with a little bit of spirituality, and kids will rave about it to their parents. And then the parents will remember that, and they will rave about it to the pastor, and you'll have job security. But people will leave the church after two or three weeks, but that won't be seen as your fault. You know what I mean? And so what ends yep. up happening is you get job security by being shallow. How can we remedy that situation? Yeah. The healing power of Jesus Christ. Fortnite. No, Fortnite. Yeah. Halo. Or both. There you go. Guys, did we just solve all the church's problems? I think we did. Welcome, American Church. Everything's fine. (laughs) Oh, wow, Bradley, you're depressing. I thought you'd be a lot more fun. You're so funny in person. I know. It's like, well, I'm going to make Gomer cry and miss youth ministry. (laughs) Um, In my defense... You started with the abuse stuff. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, the, the zany abuse scandal. <laughs> zany. Which was, it was a bit more somber than I would have thought my Catching Foxes yeah. appearance would be. <laughs> you, had so, you had so many high hopes, so many dreams. I just wonder when this is going to, I mean, blow over is the wrong word, but. Um, I wonder why. Do you remember back in like 2002? So how long do you think it took when the 2002 stuff hit, when the whole spotlight stuff happened, until things – I mean, things really weren't ever back to normal after that. You know, know, I was listening to Bishop Barron, and he was talking about how – he was reiterating how the abuse scandal is the worst thing that's ever fallen upon the church and will take 100 years to get past. And that was – he was referencing the 2002. Ugh. Yeah, that was, you know, and he was like, yeah, we're, I mean, this is our generation's worst thing that could have could have possibly happened at a more tumultuous time in our in our culture. Do you think that timer gets reset, you know, when something like Pennsylvania comes out? I do. Oh, yeah, 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 yeah. Just why I'm just like, just as a layperson, I just want to be just want to say, let's can we just get everything just just tell the truth, bishops. Just let just, it all just out there. Thing out there, and I we. Oh, I, I feel bad say, saying, "Can we move on?" Because I don't want to downplay what's happened to people. No, no, no. It, the question is, can we bring these people to justice? Can we give the yes. victims justice now? Let's not wait. Let's give them justice. Can we give the the perpetrators and predators justice now? Let's not wait on that. But the church is only hurting the church. It's not the problem. It's not just the problem of the crime. It's the cover-up that's worse. The cover-up is always worse. And it's like, what do you, like, hey, this guy hurt a kid, sexually assaulted a kid. Or, hey, this guy sexually assaulted a kid, and these 12 other people covered it up. You know, it's like, that's 10 times worse. You're ruining everything. So just let it all out. Let it all out. But I will say this. I do have to say certain things about the scandal that are going to be unpopular, okay? Now, I am a big believer of shutting up and taking our medicine, but I will say certain things about that I've been reading lately, yes, from the more conservative trad side, have 
sparked secondary thoughts in me about the grand jury report. And I'm not going to go through certain things, but I, I just want to say, like, f- for the 10 millionth time, pedophilia is sexual assault of children. Children are prepubescent, okay? It's, it's the sexual assault of minors, but not children. That is the overwhelming problem. So when someone walks up and says, you're a pedophile, or you support pedophilia, Pedophilia is a is a small, small, small fraction of what happened. And we give Academy Awards. I, I, this is the thing that is just astounding. We give Academy Awards to movies, right, about, you know, sleeping with a same-sex relationship of a 17-year-old, of a minor, right? Call me by your name. Now, obviously, the difference is it's freaking consensual, and I'm not defending that. But what I'm trying to say is I feel like there's an element where there was there was a, a way that they represented the facts of the cases. And I'm not disputing a single one of these crimes, right? But they represented it totally, like, in an asshole way. Not not the grand jury, but the Shapiro guy and uh, the New York Times articles that are coming out. Like, it's it's borderline, what do you call it? Um, I mean, it, it's, it's... Can I interject really Yes, yes, really please do. Quick here. Please Sorry. do. Because I hate so, myself I've... even saying this. No, no, no. Because I, I think this is something. This is this is a um, conversation worth having. And I actually had a tweet about this when I was getting really annoyed with people. Yeah. Um, trying to make the the conversation more about uh, priests who have same sex attraction with within the church. And um, so okay, I've actually done a lot. Of, I've, I've done like a lot, of, a lot of like research into this. And you are right. I think it's like something like two. I mean, almost over three and a fourth. Of all of the uh, of all of the abuse cases that happened were with um, fourteen to kids seventeen and adolescents. Yeah, yeah, yeah. And so, and I believe for it to be so, there's like three main areas, and I'm gonna I'm gonna get these terms wrong, so I'm not even going to like yeah. try to do it. But, uh, and I was like, and so, oh gosh, where do I, where, where, where um. There's like so much here. Yeah. Um, I think you're right to like say this is straight up to like I I, th- I think that's a point that is let us like actually like worth making. Yeah, I mean My because point. the narrative, the cultural narrative is celibacy is causing these men to do heinous things to children, and it's like okay, number one, there is no other group out there that has been quantified and studied like this none there, yeah, public school teachers nope <laughs> right like none none of the other but but that doesn't no, matter it doesn't like, excuse I, i'm not excusing it but what i'm saying is there is this oh and i'm totally i totally agree with you like i don't even want to say this stuff because it sounds like i'm defending yeah, the priest i'm not i'm not defending any of the actions what i'm saying is like for instance when the new york times article mentions over and over again the the little girls who were assaulted okay little girls were assaulted if my little girls are assaulted, you're going to die or you're going to get really hurt by me, right? I'm not downplaying that. But what I'm saying is females who were assaulted, whether they're girls or teenagers or adult women who were the victims of sexual harassment or anything, right? That is the extreme minority of what's going on here. So I'm not, I'm not one of those idiots who are like, oh, gays are child, potential child molesters because I've heard that. I've literally had people send that to me, and I'm like, I know, you're an idiot. That's me getting – I'm getting really tired of that. Yeah, it's we, like, it's really tired it's of escapism. That. It's escaping the reality. Okay, we, the church really does have 
uh, a priest problem with you know like homosexuals who have no intention of leaving their their lifestyle behind have no intention of being celibate that that is a real thing that's really going on and i've had to deal with it i've had friends who have had to deal with it in very personal ways um in wildly inappropriate ways right but i and i'm so i'm not saying you know any of this stuff what i'm saying is 78% of all of this stuff is not with children Okay, and I'm not defending that it's with minors who aren't children. All I'm saying is the narrative that's out there is celibacy is causing this among Catholics. And that's mm, silliness. Mm-hmm. It is utter silliness. 0.05% of priests in the Roman Catholic Church in America. 0.005, right? That's pretty damn small. But it's also a freaking cover-up that the bishops did of those 5%. That's horrific. Are you saying, wait, is, is that, wait, sorry, I, I, I just want to get um, these numbers straight. You, you were saying that, like, it's only five, it's only 5% of the priests who have anything that, like, anything at all accused with people under the age of 18? The number of priests that have been accused of any type of violation of chastity in terms of the sexual abuse of minors, of, um, of children, of, you know, toddlers, babies, um, that the report laid out, which is horrific. Um, the total number of priests that have done that molesting is like 0.05% of total priests, which is lower than the suspected averages of teachers, right? But don't you think, yeah, but there's this element, though, that like, this is why I think it's actually like worse with priests than it is with teachers, because with priests, it's such it's such like a violate. This is why I think it's like it's why I think people get more yeah. angry about. It. And I, such, I, everything you're about to say, I totally agree with. It's such it's like such it's like such a it's uh, such a violation of their fatherhood. Yeah, and I think it kind of points towards like which is why people get so angry about this is because they're supposed to be one of the good ones. Yeah. Yeah, I mean, they're, they're supposed to be a heroic ideal. I mean, like, here I am giving up my entire life. But the, the reality is what I'm seeing in my own friends' lives. Okay, this is not me dancing around a fiction here. This is the statistics. 78% of those molested were post-pubescent boys. Okay, 78%. These are men who are wildly out of control. But the reason why the John Jay report, which is a different report, the reason why they didn't say that it was homosexuality or that these were gay men is because the men themselves self-reported that they didn't identify that way. It's like, okay, so you're engaging in same-sex acts with only same-sex people, but you're saying you're not same-sex attracted. And that's the part of the report that's driving me nuts is because they're afraid to make that claim. Now, you have the other side, which is dismissing all of this stuff by being like, see, it's not a priest problem. It's a gay problem. It's like, no, it's a church problem that we have right now that we're not even addressing. Mm-hmm. And I don't mean just the fact that there are gay men and, uh, you know, gay, gay men and gay women in, in religious life. I'm not even talking about that. I'm talking about a lack of chastity regardless. Yeah. With, z- yeah. with zero intention of being chaste. Yeah. Sorry, I I thought you were gonna go down go down the road of like the Catholic League and their craziness. Yeah, I mean I don't know I when I read the Catholic League report I you know it opens your eyes to a bunch of stuff like uh, yeah there is a lot of distortion I am 
quoting a lot of that article, the guy who actually read the entire thing. But um, I, I feel like like that guy was so like Phil. I keep wanting to call him Phil Donahue. Bill Donahue. It's like this is this is so bizarre. Like it's it's like you're trying to hurt the church, Bill Bill Donahue. Like the way he wrote it, it just seemed like well, really the problem is everyone else but the church. And you're like what? Yeah, I just, I, yeah, I, I, I just the first one of the one of the areas where the church really were it's and and it's hard and I and I understand this and I struggle with this as well. So I, I don't I'm tr- I'm trying to understand what does like this actually look like is we have to die to our desire for cult- for cultural relevancy. Yeah. And I I think it starts with us. Like I get so annoyed when people call us a I'm a Catholic podcast cuz I'm like we're just a podcast. Um but I'm like you know like whatever. Like they're going to call us that. It's fine. Who cares? I know that's, that's like a re- that's like a, a a dumb example but Barnes, I'm sorry, this is not your own a private episode of uh, Catching Foxes. I know, I was just thinking that. No, I mean, I I agree. If we don't look at this as a human problem, I think there's an issue, too. Because, so I teach, I have to run now all the safe environment stuff for our parish in addition to doing youth ministry. So I have to teach most of our child protection classes, and I get to sit through three hours of talking about child sexual abuse and watching videos of perpetrators and victims. Um, but one thing that I has come out to me the most from years of doing of just teaching it and now is coordinating those efforts, if we limit this to a problem that is just with people who take vows of celibacy or just a Catholic problem, or just a problem with, you know, people who are same-sex attracted, or just a problem with this one group. We are missing a whole swath of other people, and that's. Yeah. It scares me to think of how much of this is still in the dark, outside of the church too. We fell, and we fell hard, and we should have. And the church is strong enough to weather this storm, even though it's going to take, I would agree with Bishop Barron, I'm sure this will take a long time. And, you know, the fact that this has been, you know, catching Fox's topic of discussion for a couple weeks running, like, that's because this is this is going to hurt and hurt for a while. Um, but thank goodness, you know, last week, Luke, you were talking about feeling so I got the sense of being like thankful for a movie like Spotlight thankful that this kind of stuff got brought in thankfully we fell because we can weather through it and maybe this is going to bring all the rest of this crap out so we can deal with it and we can keep kids safe going forward because I don't you know Gomer you were talking about how actively you would you know defend your children or act out if something happened, God forbid, to your children. I don't have kids. I I tell all the people who listen to me, you know, the only kids I get probably in this life are going to be the kids that I, you know, that are entrusted to me at my parish. And I bristle and 
get upset thinking about something happening to them. They're very precious to me. Um, when my wife the other day, she was going up the stairs to go to bed and I was going into my office to do some work and I started recounting because I was so pissed off. I started recounting to her some of the issues going on in the church uh, with the scandal and from the grand jury report. And she's like, you, I don't want to hear this. And I said, Shannon, me and you were both youth ministers. If you don't listen to this, who will? Who's going to protect the kids? And she got really, really quiet. And then she looked at me and said, well, I just don't want to listen to it right now when I'm going to bed. And I was like, all right, fair enough. But you're absolutely right. Like, like you, w- there's something funny that we always, uh, we've gotten criticism for this tons of times, but you call them your kids, like my teens, you know, my teen, And you do, you feel such overwhelming uh, affection and worry and all the things for them. You really do as a youth minister. That's why you're willing to make yourself look like an idiot. <laughs> For yeah. them, so, uh, so, so, so many times. Mm-hmm. Uh, because you want the best for them, and the best is the person, Jesus Christ. I mean, the last I heard. Do you have someone else? <laughs> According to most of recent stats. To whom shall we go? To whom shall we go? You know what's been interesting? It's been all of all of um, the mass readings and the office oh, of readings. Oh, my goodness. Have been insane. Yeah, it's been like kind of crazy. I think today's mass reading for the Queenship of Mary from Ezekiel, I think thirty four, was like, "What are you doing, shepherds? You're not being shepherds. Be the shepherds." I thought, "Oh, oh, oh, you're gonna feed off the sheep. That's what you're gonna do. Fine, I, I will be their shepherd." <laughs> like, whoa, whoa, consuming the sheep. Oh my gosh. No. This, everyone gets so quiet every single time. This is driving me insane. <laughs> and I, I, We're just like, ooh, preach it. Come on. <laughs> Sorry. So I, I, I have to ring back the old Pentecostal in me. I got my handkerchief out. I was going to be like, oh, come no. on. <laughs> you know, and, and, this has been such, like, I, I think it's kind of funny how you just brought up why we're always quiet after a person talks. I think everyone who works in ministry right now is emotionally exhausted. Uh, and 100%. Yeah, like I've been sitting here, Gomer and Luke, like actively aware that I am being uncharacteristically quiet and going, this isn't great, like podcasting for a guest to come up, but like I can't, I can't respond to this anywhere. Like the two of you talking with passion, like I, I can't I'm just sitting here literally going, yep, ugh, and a variety of other (laughs) silent internal (laughs) moments that are just happening strobe-like at any given point in time while you're talking. Because it's just – Luke, when you were talking about it being like morning, one of the the dads in in, um, in our parish's group last Friday was was saying exactly that too – and I don't know where we're on. We, we are on that journey of grief right now. I think a lot of us want to jump ahead to the point where we're Healed. quote unquote okay again yeah. or feel like we pretend like we're okay again. But we, I think it's better to just feel these feelings and experience this and just embrace how much this hurts right now and how scary it is and how unsure it feels and how how much fear and distrust and 
all the human emotions because we have a faith that encompasses that. We have a God who dipped down into the human experience and felt the worst of it and felt the, you know, how awful and oppressive the effects of sin can feel, even though he was without sin. And that's one of the things that I love the most about being Catholic, as opposed to, you know, having a very positive experience of growing up non-Catholic is we allow for suffering and we allow for the yuck of human life because, man, it is not always the crazy, fun, carefree lifestyle. You know, <laughs> Gomer, you were you were like, I thought, you know, I thought this was going to be a much funnier, <laughs> like, situation. That's, I, I, <laughs> it's important to realize whether we're talking youth ministry, abuse scandal, anything, like, there is joy, and that's an important part of the Christian life, but there is suffering, too, and from suffering is, you know, in a perfect world-born hope, but it can't all just be the sweet, saccharine, um, cheesy smiles all the time. It can't just yeah. be the cake kind of emotions. It's got to be the hard stuff. Did you hear the and, the quote from Pope, or from... Um... Saint uh, uh, Saint Augustine that I posted on our Catching Foxes Facebook page. It was um, the two. Hope has two beautiful daughters, anger and courage. Anger yes. at the way things are, and the courage to change them to what they should be, or something like that. And you just start hearing these things over and over again, and you're like, okay. And it, the way it was described to me by my buddy Charles at work, he said, courage is not just anger. Anger, you can be angry at a lot of things and do nothing about it. Courage is the one that says, okay, I know in order to correct this, I have to go stand in those hail of bullets. And I know I'm, I, I could literally, I could die. I could lose my career. I could, you know, this, this, this. And this stuff's going to happen. But I have to do this for this to ever change. And he's, and he, for him, he said as he was praying about that, he had the image of, uh, of uh, the opening scene of Saving Private Ryan. Where, you know, like the, they land on Normandy Beach and the boats open up in the front and just machine gun fire rips through. And you start to think mm. about it. If that first guy wasn't there, the second guy couldn't get off. The first guy's, he had to take the bullet. Like there wasn't another task for him, you know, but it's that. And, and it shows like how they're trembling and yet they still ran forward. And you start to see all this stuff and it's like, yeah, see, that, that's courage. Courage isn't the absence of fear. It's the, the action in the presence of fear. And when well, the, wor the worst thing in these situations that can be happening is passing the buck. Yeah. And every time I hear it, it's driving me crazy. What are you talking about? No archbishops or bishops have passed the buck. Oh, that's right. I'm, I'm sorry. I, I, I retract that. You statement. must be thinking of some sort of crazy uh, <laughs> Pentecostal. You're thinking of all the lay bloggers. <laughs> um. But no, like I'm even, I've even been thinking about that in talks with other lay people, like we have to own this as, as a church and say, you know what, when, when we, we fell, we fell, we screwed up majorly mm. and we are responsible for all of this bullshit 
because we can't claim to be members of the same body when it's convenient for us. And so if someone needs us to be the voice that's saying, I am so sorry that we did this to you, even though I am not a priest, I am not a bishop, I wasn't even Catholic when most of this stuff was happening, that's still mine. Yeah. Honestly, I'm not a part of the body of Christ. Um, this is based off of, I was inspired by a thing that Ratzinger wrote. And uh, sorry, Rat. Um, it was uh, when he just talked about like during times of when the church is guilty. That's when like the like, penitential act that we do in mass is just so important, you know. And I really had a pretty profound experience when it, you know did the whole um, through my fault, through my fault, through like through my through my one of the most grievous fault part and just like lord have mercy and all that stuff it was just it was really like oh like i've i have really i've never experienced it quite that profoundly before of just really trying to beg god just for how i've contributed to this in some way i don't know i'm sure there's probably some way that i have helped you know perpetuate you know the, the uh dragon that is cleric clericalism or the fear of 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 scandal and i just wonder if this is the um american church right now is having a just you know you know the bill comes due always this is like ragnarok moment <laughs> leave it I to mean, you it crazy to make it about yeah. marvel but i think it's true though like you know, like what happens at at the, at the end of that film because of their past, like all the bad stuff that they've done, all all like you know of the glory that they that they won came crashing down, and they basically were were like almost killed by the by you know by like evil that they did to uh, to obtain that power. I think it's gonna happen now. Yeah, my hope is that um, that imperial episcopacy thing, his whole thing was if bishops can start ministering to individual people again, which is so difficult because so much is taken away from them um, by the burden of administration. And he just said, you know, like in the diocese of, oh, I can't remember. I want to say it was in Scotland. This one priest friend of mine got back and he said, uh, you know, it's interesting. There are, there are like nine people that work for the entire archdiocese. I was like, what? No. And he's like, yeah, nine. I was like, what? And they're like, they don't have an HR department. You know, they don't have any of that stuff. You got to figure all that stuff out on your own as a pre or as a parish. And he said, uh, they have some, some people in this. It's like one of the largest dioceses in Scotland and has nine people working for it. And I was like, whoa, that is a totally different experience than what we have here in the States. But you just think of that. I mean, how can you, how can we get past the layers of abstraction? Or do you guys even think that's a problem? Oh, I, I do. So you you know priests that you would invite. Would the, do you think those priests would ever invite either one of your bishops? Like, are those bishops accessible to the fellow priests? If they are, I've not heard of it, yeah. which is odd to think about that. 
Uh, and I don't, yeah, go Luke. I'm going to kind of plead the fifth on this one. Um, but I am going to say that I've seen our bishops be accessible. Sorry, it's kind of I think, I think in, in my case, in our archdiocese, they're accessible, but not Gomer in the way that you're talking about. Like I, and I think that that's just a culture change and shift that has an opportunity to happen. I think I, from what I'm aware of, I see our bishops um, having good relationships with priests, with seminarians especially. But there's just, like everything you've said, there's the glut of running an archdiocese. Yeah. There's not as much of an opportunity to be a human being. And to be a father to us, um, I have individual friends who are close or closer um, to our bishops, but you know, I don't. It's through no fault of you know these two. I think great, awesome men. Yeah. Um, I don't see those relationships happening a ton. Yeah. I just let's um, let's just. That'd be a good challenge going forward. Are, are you guys doing any of the sackcloth and ash penances and stuff? Um, I'm doing some stuff in my own way just because of some health stuff I've going on right, right now. But yeah. Me and all the dads, we did uh, some fasting and prayer, some coordinated fasting and prayer last Friday, which was pretty, that wasn't even, I can't even take credit for that, but that was really powerful. But I think there needs to be more. Yeah. It's just so, it's just so much. It's so much like I don't, and I said this is like, I don't want to go to work. Not because I don't like, I think it has anything to do with my parish, but just because I feel like all of my work, when I have a parishioner call me and say, tell me why, please tell me why I should still be Catholic. And you just, when, when I hang out with the youth ministers, they're saying like teens are just like, why, you know, getting just done. Like they don't, they, it's just, it, they can't trust one of the most kindest, gentlest priests that I know. They just, well, what if? Like, to, to think about that, to put yourself in a situation where people have to think about you like, oh, no, are, is so-and-so going to be a danger to my kid? Yeah. And, like, this is this that is the heartbreaking. So huh? What was that? I was going to say that scares me so much because. They're such good priests. One thing that I've noticed, the youth that I'm in contact with right now. None of this is registering with them. And to a certain extent, I go, oh, thank goodness. Like, you're being spared all of this fear and uncertainty. And then I'm also going, but when is that shoe going to drop? Oh. I don't know why. I, and I mean, I, it may be just the pockets of children at my parish, at schools I work with. Just It, it might just be those kids in our archdiocese. I don't know. Um, but I don't get the sense that a lot of teens here in my sphere know the extent of that yet and have that mistrust. But I feel like it's got to be coming as it trickles down through the parents, the grandparents, the parents into their home lives. And especially as they go away, I worry so much about our yeah. college. Dudes. Oh my God. They drop That's like flies thing. anyway, get given this. Yeah. Oh my gosh. Um, Barnes, I have, a, I have a hypothetical question for you. If this had happened on this scale, 
within your Pentecostal church, would you have left? Like, let's just, let's just say that you had um, never converted to Catholicism. Would you have left? Man, that's a great question. I mean, I don't... I See, I don't know. I... There was there were things driving me. I never left despite other things that hit me as hard. See, it's so dangerous to just I'm just assuming that it's as hard as something like this would have been. I went through hard things in my former church, my former faith tradition and didn't leave and wanted to leave sometimes, but I didn't. I think just through the supernatural gift of faith in a very real way that had been just like hammered in there through awesome people who had just embedded, you know, this love of God that was going to draw me back. No matter how far I got away, I could never, I could never fully shake it. And that was so frustrating sometimes. So I'd say no, but I've often felt trapped by that also. Like, why can't I just, leave. And this is, you know, again, like I came into the church knowing all of this, knowing the way that people still, before all of this grand jury stuff came out, knowing the way that people still perceive Catholics and Catholic churches and Catholic priests. But this last week has been the the first time that I've palpably felt what I'm sure people felt back in 02, and it's not brought up uncertainty, but it has brought up shame and fear and some of that stuff we've been talking about. It doesn't feel good. I think that I, uh, I mean, like I, I have never contemplated, like, you know, like obviously, um, I know that you can't ever stop being Catholic, but I've and and I have never even like once like thought about, you know, like quitting the church or anything like that, like that, but. I did just kind of think, like, I wonder if, like, if, you know, because, like, um, I think we talked a bit about when, like, Mars Hill, uh, like, when that whole thing, like, fell apart just in a matter of months. Yeah. Pretty much. You had one of, the, like, a huge Protestant church just cease to exist. Um, you know, I think if I was in, if, if this had happened within some, if I was involved in some sort of non-denominational church, I'm kind of inclined to think that I, I would leave. I beg this is, you know, I mean, like, and I don't because I know that this is, like, this is upon your rock. I will build my church. This is my church. I believe that with all my being. So it can't end, you know, like, it's just uh, in the sense of, like, but there is this element of, like, man, this is so bad that I, um, I, 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 I understand why some people would really want to leave. Let me just put it that way. I'm I, I, I'm not saying that like I agree with that or I think that they should or that it is a good idea. I I don't think it's a good idea, but um, yeah. I mean, where else shall we go? Is that the the reading? Yeah, that and that is one thing that's come up in my mind. Is you know we're midway through, past midway through bread of life discourse oh. Sunday readings this weekend is as a result of this many of his disciples returned to their former way of life no longer accompanied him jesus said to the 12 do you also want to leave simon peter answered him master to whom shall we go you have the words of eternal life 
Like, that's how I feel sometimes. And sometimes I feel like I'm disingenuous in dealing with, or like I might be disingenuous in dealing with people who want to leave because that's all I can say. It took me so long to get here into the church. I was 26 when I became Catholic and it healed every single thing that was wrong with me and it cured every hurt that had ever been in my heart and every deficiency that every every big hurdle and deficiency in my relationship with Jesus and and I got to be swept up in the full revelation of of faith the fullness of what it is to you know live this Christian life and be filled with the Holy Spirit and I don't where the heck else am I going to go and that's reassuring but it also I mean, Anglicanism <laughs> did not see that one <laughs> coming just hang out with N.T. Wright all day there we go gentlemen Ooh. gentlemen Two hours. Two hours Man. and 15 minutes. Blammo. I think we need to stop talking, and I need to figure out a way to edit this to one hour, maybe <laughs> maybe two episodes. But I do, so I do feel like it's all the homosexuals' fault. Good night! Yeah. <laughs> Mike dropped. Luke just dropped hey. Michael Gormley from the podcast. <laughs> That's what we mean by Mike drop. Oh, would it suck if like Michael Voris was just right all along? How badly? Would that well, suck? I mean, I will tell you this: he is very right about the lavender mafia stuff. Because I, <laughs> I I'm so I was so pissed off when I was reading that Catholic news agency where uh, all the anonymous seminarians and, and priests came out about old Uncle Ted groping them and making them feel physically uncomfortable. Like this is what women feel like in the workplace. When Uncle Ted, you know, Theodore McCarrick comes walking into the seminary, people get antsy. Why? Because he's going to touch you. He's going to take liberties, right? And did you hear, like, the archbishop or bishop or whatever said, don't go to the press. Just tell me. And so they're like, we're not going to tell you. You were his assistant. And they went immediately to the Catholic News Agency or, uh, and they reported an anonymously. I think it was the Ed Condon again. Um, guy's great. It was really good. Yeah, they've done a great job. It was really good, but it's also so heartbreaking to see her here. And this is what triggered it for me. He said, "We were told, you know, the priest is like, you know, you're just a good priest. Just keep your head low, and you'll make it out of seminary." And they said, "But like one other thing, lock your door at night." He's like, "What?" And he's like, "Yeah, I'm not kidding. Lock your door at night in the seminary because of the other seminarians and some of the priests there." He's like, "Wait, you're joking?" He's like, "Lock your door." And sure enough, they all had to lock their doors that night because if they didn't, people would come in and fondle them, grope them, go after them. And then I, as soon as I read that line, immediately one of my best friends had something similar. That exact advice happened to him when he was in seminary. And I, so I immediately cut him and he goes, oh, yeah, man. Oh, yeah. There was like eight dudes who were hardcore. And I was like, no. And he's like, yep. And I was like, how did I? Like here, I was hearing these stories. I've heard these stories for 10, 15 years. And I never can, I thought it was just some small little like offset thing. And now I'm finding out that the, from these seminarian stories in New Jersey and this other story in location not to be revealed, um, 
like the same thing was happening. Lock your doors. Here comes the fondler. All of these things. And it's shocking. Shocking. It's just, I just like, sometimes I just get so angry. I'm like, why don't you believe what you like the church's teachings? What is wrong with you? Because they were never, they were never in it for the church. That's the thing that people don't understand is they were never in it for the church. They had a salary. They had a car. They had a home. They had prestige. And they had all the friends, the types of friends that they wanted. They had them all. And on top of that, they'd have access. Yeah. And I, I had a buddy of mine who was a priest in Germany. And he was, or in uh, Poland. And he was talking about, he went to seminary for a little bit in, in Germany or whatever. And uh, he said, oh, I'm going to America. And the guy was like, why are you going to America? And he said, yeah, I, I want to preach over there. He goes, oh, well, you guys must get paid a lot more over there. And he goes, no, actually, in America, the priests get paid like $25,000, $30,000 by the diocese. And he's like, what? Why would you become a priest then? And he looked at him. He's like, why are you a priest? And he's like, I make $120,000 a year. Whoa. Yeah. In Germany, you can make a lot of money. Because the taxes are collected by the church, by the state, and then given to the church. The Roman Catholic Church is like the second richest group in Germany outside of the government. And so this guy was like, and so this Polish priest is telling me, he's like, yeah, they, they drive brand new Mercedes. They have a nice house. They have a mistress. They have everything they want. And you're like, oh, my God, why are they doing this? And then you sit back and say, wait. Is this why no one's teaching what the church teaches? Like, when I read the documents of Vatican II, I don't flip out. I say, these are wise and holy words. How come the church since Vatican II has now become a wise and holy institution? Oh, wait, the sexual revolution and all this craziness all coincided with each other. Yeah. I mean, that's really, like, this is not a a problem that we can, I, I love what you said, Brad. This is not a one-group problem. Just like you're talking about with youth ministry and, you know, needing adults to evangelize and family catechesis and all this stuff. In order to just have good youth ministry, you have to have, you have, to have a priest who knows how to preach the gospel. You have to have parents who are on board, not just with good little citizens, but raising saints. You have to have adults who are so committed to evangelization that they'll come and evangelize children or young adults or whatever group. They'll do it weekly. They'll commit to investing in them. You need a million things before you can ever do good youth ministry. Well, the same is true about the church right now. Like, there's a million things going wrong, and no one thing will change it uh, other than community groups. Buy my book. Buy my book. <laughs> Buy my book. Oh, this has been the best two-and-a-half-hour podcast we've ever done. Yeah, I'm not going to edit it. I'm just going to release the whole damn thing. You should. I think you should. <laughs> i got to figure out how to get the bit rate low enough. <laughs> just don't worry about it. It's like, whatever, everyone. Here you go. Enjoy. Listen, guys, I sped it up 200%. <laughs> I made the hour mark. <laughs> we, all, we all sound like uh, gerbils on speed, but it's worth it. We are a broken people, and all our welcome is our song. <laughs> well, Syrophoenician women, come get the scraps from the table of our Lord. Here we go. That's what I feel like, the laity. We're the Syrophoenician women here. Uh, so what should we do, Luke? Tell us what we should do. You have one minute. So here's what we're gonna do. We're gonna, we're going to wrap things up here. I think we should. Just, I think this is good. Like this needs to be out there because this is us just trying to deal with this and just trying to like process all this and just let's let's just release this bad boy. Two hour podcast. We are catching foxes. This is what we. This do. is our thing. 
<laughs> yeah, screw those idiots who think that that like each podcast should be under a half hour. Where were they in uh, 2009? I'll I'll tell you where. Not listening to podcasts. <laughs> Busy cutting down trees or doing something noble. Drop an ice with my axe. All right, Bradley, you got one minute. What should the church do next? What should we do next? Oh, sorry. What should I skip Luke? What should Catching Foxes and the Catching Foxes community do next? Go. I think using whatever influence you have at whatever level you have it to just hold people accountable and to call them to to holiness, not just with, you know, are you doing untoward things? with around two children, but just in every level, hammering home that idea that, you know, two hours ago we started talking about connecting people and not letting them be isolated. So just form real, don't not being afraid of forming real relationships with people. That's all we can do. I think if we focus on that, I'm hoping it, it, it has some kind of effect. Amen. Luke, one minute, go. Uh, no, I, I just I really want to echo that it's time to stop talking about the church and let's just be the church and that includes all of us, priests like bishop, lady like whatever. I I think we need to spend like we need to spend like more time outside of the outside the walls of the parish being the church than we do inside. Yeah. I okay. So here's my one minute. Number one. I think I'm going to just be like totally practical and tell people what to do with their lives. Cause as a white male, I feel like that's my wheelhouse. Mansplain away. Go. Number one, everyone for your morning prayer, read Ephesians, read Ephesians over and over and over again. Just read it over and over again and note how many times the phrase in him, in Christ, all that stuff is used. It is so powerful in the first chapter that it can change your life. If you give yourself over to it. Number two, Pick Friday and fast. You might have health issues where you can't fast, you know, the two meals gone, but fast on Friday. Let's restore that old practice. But this case, we're fasting for justice and for reparation. That's our goal. Uh, and number three, just pray to Our Lady of Sorrows uh, and, and Mary, Mother of the Church. Like, let's just pray something, maybe do a decade a day. And we'll call this the catching foxes slump. And we'll all just be depressed. And we'll say the uh, the sad cre- or the sad uh, Our Lady of Sorrow stuff or the Sorrowful Mysteries of the Rosary. And just do one decade a day for five days and just offer it up. That's my practical thing going forward. There's no cake. There's no ice cream. Happy birthday. Catchingfoxes.fm. <laughs> Patreon.com slash CF. If you want to complain about Luke's hatred of homosexuals, go to catchingfoxes.com slash, wait, no, go to facebook.com slash catchingfoxespodcast. There we go. Uh, Barnes, dude, this has been awesome, man. Thank you. Thanks, guys. Sorry, I I couldn't bring the chuckles. (laughs) (laughs) I think I'm going to title this podcast, Holy Shit, We're Depressed. I'm not gonna lie. I I even felt like this was coming on, like in the lead up to it. I was like, oh, yeah. it's gonna I happen. Don't... But it needs. So thanks, thanks you, thanks to you guys for sticking with all this and doing doing what you're doing. We appreciate it out in listener land. We've got, we've got a lot thanks. of people thanking us. 
And, yeah. Uh, oh, oh, yeah. oh, let's say that one thing. Uh, priests, Luke is not giving up on you. Uh, uh, thank you, Luke, for addressing <laughs> that. I didn't even know it was a thing. I don't remember you saying that, but you brought up. Well, I just, yeah, I just felt bad about because, like, especially after, after, like, Byzantine priest, because I really thought, like, this wasn't going to be as much about the priesthood. I thought it was going to be more about, like, the bishops and it's just everything's just been horrible so yeah. when that priest got like beat up i was like oh no and i felt terrible so i just wanted to say that like i, I didn't I, I was not trying to say like i don't care about priests and i, I and i think i was kind of i think i was wrong in my in what i thought was was good gonna happen so i'm sorry uh, and i and i think everyone it was pretty clear like well, what i meant but yeah so sorry <laughs> so was that the luke gets taken to the woodshed segment i guess yeah <laughs> every week <laughs> Are we like reading anything good in anyone? I just finished Seven Story Mountain. First time I've ever read that. So Thanks. good. Thomas Merton, autobiography. Uh, awesome. Nice. I would almost highly suggest it for I'm I've been thinking about getting a copy for all my college freshmen. Just like yeah. what I felt like if I'd read that as a young adult, certain trajectories would have gone very differently. Yeah. Beautifully written. Highly recommend to read. I'm on to a couple other Merton things nice. now. Nice. Uh, Hans Urban Balthasar, um, the book is called like, Light of the World. It's just his brief like reflections on the gospel uh, for that for that week. It's been great for me. So I'm reading um, Cardinal Ratzinger's The Meaning of Christian Brotherhood. For the first oh, it's first so twenty pages. I mean, you want to? It just it's just so powerful. Um, and I'm reading that because of the whole obsession I have with community. Um, and I'm doing a retreat for my parish staff. And I'm thinking, if I really hammer home this theme, then it needs, I, I need to, you know, I need to create a place to belong. And that's all I want to do. I want to help priests and I want to help laity belong. Barnes hates Ratzinger. I do not, man, son of a gun. I said he doesn't like Ratzinger. say that lie. <laughs> I just have certain people in my life who quote him way too much. <laughs> quote him and Hansers von Balthazar way too hey, much. Hey. hey, you take that back. Old Ballsy never did anything bad to you. <laughs> and with that, good night, ladies and gentlemen. 